Father. Open up the windows of heaven. Pour us out a blessing we won't have room to contain. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing of God that comes with the hearing of your word, uh, delivered in faith. And we thank you, Lord, that as faith goes out, we increase in everything that we need. And we love you and we honor you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. So we're going to continue talking about um, uh, 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 unreasonable doubt. We started that yesterday. Amen. We talked about why doubt is not reasonable, even though it comes in the voice of reason. Amen. It comes sounding like something that makes sense to you. But it would only make sense to your carnal mind. So faith is of the spirit. Amen. Faith is of the spirit man. And so what you're talking about here is two warring factions, really, two warring ideas. There's an idea that you are healed, and then there's another idea that says, look at how you feel, or look at what the doctor said, or look at the diagnosis, or look at this, or look at that. And so, really, what the enemy tries to do is he continually tries to win this argument. Amen. It's because he knows if he wins, you lose. So if he wins the argument, uh, uh, of reason and, and putting doubt on the inside of you, if he wins through doubt, if he, if we let doubt stand, amen, then he has won, uh, on that issue and then he feels he can take further territory. He can build his kingdom of doubt in your heart and keep building one excuse on top of another, on top of another, one idea on top of another, on top. He wants to rebuild his kingdom inside of you. You're saved now. And the kingdom of heaven is is coming into your life, really has come in by the person of the Holy Spirit. And you want to yield to that influence in your life. You don't want to yield to the carnal mind and the carnal frame, which is an enemy. So you got these two warring factions on the inside of you. Whenever the word of God comes in, doubt slams the door. It says, uh-uh, you ain't getting in here. And it'll tell you a good reason why you can't. And it'll always reflect back on you. Something you lack. Something you don't do right. Something that's uh, a weakness. Something that's a deficiency. Even though we know God's grace is sufficient for us in all things. So it doesn't matter your weaknesses. It doesn't matter your shortcomings. It doesn't matter your history or your current failures. Amen. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is what God says and whether or not you're crazy enough to believe it in spite of everything else. Amen. And so when we begin to approach Life in God just that way, just cut and dry. No reasons, no excuses, no add-tos, no takeaways. Just the pure word of God. Take it at face value. You do better as far as being a kingdom citizen. Amen. Now, man's laws, because man makes laws, they can be argued. You know, if you get a, a speeding ticket, they always tell, well, if you want to contest the ticket, you can go down. Don't waste your time. 
because they have all those infallible proofs that you would speak. Uh, so just go and pay the ticket. But it'll shock you how many people take a day off work, uh, go down there, want to argue, that's because they're invited to argue. And that's the way doubt is. He invites himself into your business with God. And he begins to argue against what God has promised you, what God has told you, who God says you are, <laughs> what God's doing in your life, who you really are, all that kind of stuff. He begins to argue against it. God is a faithful God. Once he establishes something in our lives, he keeps reiterating it. Remember when he told Abraham, he said, if you, he said, follow me and I'll make you a father of many nations. Just do what I tell you to do. And every time he had contact with Abraham, he reiterated the same promise. See, years go by and he hasn't changed his mind. Now, maybe you've changed yours or maybe you're not as enthusiastic about it. Huh? You know, the devil's full of lies. He'll tell you something like, he uses time against us. We say this, use this example of time all the time because it's a very common one. But when did you ever tell God that time was that important to you? Now think about where that issue come from. It comes from the devil. He makes it an issue even if you don't even think it is. He'll come up with something to make an issue for you, and you hadn't even thought it was an issue before. You say, oh, yeah, that's right. Too much time has gone by. You know, I I don't want it no more. Huh? And so he continually concocts his argument against our believing God's word. He argues his case against us receiving what God has for us. And he will do it on any basis that we allow him to do it on. He likes knowing our faults and our weaknesses, you know, our little private insecurities that we don't ever tell anybody. Well, he knows them. That's why he keeps them a secret between you and him. Huh? That gives him something to blackmail you over. So two of y'all can feast on all of that, and then at the end of it, you're worthless, you ain't no good. You, uh-huh. It's amazing. I was thinking about, you know, I was just meditating and, and thinking things through, you know, with the Lord, and, and God was sharing this with me, and he said, he said, you know, whenever a person shows another person any kind of affection or love or attention or you know how it is sometimes a person will just that you know will go up and give you something you know oh i got this for you i got that and and the lord told me this he says what they are doing is they have adopted how he sees you so if there's some goodness they see in you they got that idea from him so it's a their goodness toward you is a reflection 
of how God sees you and what he really wants you to have. So if that's true, honor God. Don't run after people and don't run from people. Because God will show people who you really are and he will compel them to reflect that to you and take that message to you. You ever have somebody give you something and and nobody knows you like that stuff but you and you wonder how they even knew that? God sent that to you. See, this is for all these people to have people problems. You know, all them little Facebook slogans, you know, uh, uh, somebody, God takes people out of your life because they ain't worth your time. How dare you? You don't even know the value of another human being. You make a statement like that, my goodness. We don't have any throwaway people out here. And we're Christians. We're supposed to uphold the image of God. We're supposed to reflect to humanity their worth and their value. But we got to know it first. That's why he says, love one another as I have loved you. We got to know how he loves people in order to love people right. See, people make crazy statements like that. They're looking for something from somebody. They're shallow and don't have sense enough to know it. They got a problem that needs correcting bad. You don't throw people away. God wants us to live in his image every single day to reflect who he is period that's our job down here and the best way to know how to do that is get in the word find out who you find out who you are first before you go around picking and choosing on people and condemning people and pushing them out of your life and saying they're no good and worthless all that how dare you what makes you so good? Huh? Bunch of stinking pride. That's all it is. You got a wrong concept of who you are, darling. <laughs> you know, humanity needs a wake-up call. We're some confused people sometimes. Huh? <laughs> Stay in your Bible. Get off social media find a lot of crazy people parked up in there they troll it looking for somebody to have a comment to so they can get in a fight and argue with somebody stay away from them kind of people i like peaceful people myself huh (laughs) praise god so doubt we talked about uh, uh john turn to john chapter 11 first and then we'll go to john chapter 20 John chapter 11, there are two contrasting visions of uh, faith versus doubt. Jesus is at Lazarus' tomb, 
God had planned to raise Lazarus from the dead even when he was alive. This is part of the plan. That's why Jesus did not get there in time enough to to heal him while he was yet living, had breath of life still in him. So because God has to teach people and demonstrate certain attributes of God, and the attribute that's needed here is that they would know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that he carries resurrection. See, this would help the disciples if they see him raise somebody from the dead, this will help them believe that he will raise from the dead because he's about to be crucified. And see, they're expecting a big party where they go and tell Caesar to hit the road and all that. It ain't coming. Amen. Just like many of us thought God's kingdom was a certain way and we find out it's a different way. <laughs> the reason meekness is one of the fruit of the spirit is that we have to live off of it continually. You have to continually humble yourself to God in order to receive any, any even to hear his voice or to get understanding. It takes a, a, a degree of humility. Uh, total humility before God to even get an audience with him. So here in, in John chapter 11, Lazarus has died. Jesus finally shows up. Verse 38, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself came to the grave. It was a cave and a stone was in front of it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time he stinks. For it's, he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you would believe, you would see. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Now, when he gets Lazarus, he he calls him out of the tomb. Everybody's shocked and all of that. And then Jesus prays a prayer and says, Father, I thank you that, you know, you're revealing this power of your glory to these people who are standing by here. So really, Lazarus was was always slated to continue to live. But the way it happens is totally up to God. Like God has already planned your healing and your deliverance, how it happens is up to Him, and that's according to how He wants to develop your faith. So He's not letting people die just so He can prove He can raise them up. He He let Lazarus die because people there, His disciples and those who followed Him, needed to have faith for the resurrection of the dead. Period. Now, they had seen Jesus stop a funeral and get that lady's boy out of there, but there's something he needs to teach these people. It's something he needs to tell them. It's something they need to experience in a different way. He says here in verse 41, they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you heard me. You, I know that you hear me always, 
But because of the people that stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you have sent me. He sent from the Father. They need to believe everything that's said about Jesus. Then people followed him for different reasons. You know, if you got fed, he was out in the desert, you've had word spread very quickly that Jesus feeds people if they follow him. You understand what I'm saying? And so Jesus wants people to know who he is as far as, as far as spiritual things are concerned. Because he senses a lack in their understanding of who he is. They've been around him almost three, over three years now, and they still are not clear about his identity. When he asked, he asked, uh, uh, who did he ask? It was Peter. Who do you say that I am? And when he told him, he said, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. This is what Jesus expects Everybody, this is how everybody's supposed to know him, not by he's the savior of the world, he's a great prophet, and he's this, and he's not data and not facts, but up close and personal, a spiritual revelation of who he is. That's what we got to have. So as long as flesh and blood is telling you stuff, you're not really going to believe the supernatural. You're just going to believe in the hearing of your ear, your carnal ear. But Jesus says these people need to experience who I am in the fullness. When he first started his ministry, he told people he was anointed and what he was going to do. And over and over again, people just, oh, he's Messiah. He's going to give me, can I be on your right hand and me on your left? And you, I'm your homie. I'm, you know, and I, we boys, we buds. You know. People are constantly trying to make him who they want him to be. Instead of getting a revelation of who he is. See, your best results will come through a personal revelation of Christ. I'm going to come through with some facts and historical data and all the books you read by brother so-and-so and sister hissy fit and all them people that got so much to say about everything. It's going to come through you face to face with the king of glory. Amen. There are people totally ignorant of, can't read, never read a Bible, but they probably know more about God than some of us do. They know when God's around. They know when he's spoken to them, giving them peace. They have a communication thing. You you can communicate with people who aren't verbal. We all know that. Amen. How many mothers, when your baby, your babies wasn't verbal? Wow, they said the same thing all the time, pretty much. A baby, a few words, just cry all the time. But you learned what them wise meant when they happened, and so you can communicate. We do that with God. Amen. We have the word, which is much better, much better. Don't go backwards, start relying on emotions and all that kind of stuff. You know, in fact, God is in control of how he communicates to us. Amen. But he, he speaks to us now through his word. But don't don't dare think people don't know God because they don't know a lot of scripture. Amen. 
So anyway, Jesus said that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out of there, came out bound hand and foot. And he said, loose him and let him go. In other words, get out of unbelief, everybody. Get in faith. Start expecting this man to live. He's not stinking. He's not going to drop dead in a few minutes. Get your expectation up to where he is, which is he is in life. Amen. He's in life. Amen. And so when it says, then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things that Jesus did believed on him. So he got what he wanted out of that situation of raising Lazarus. That's what he wants out of all of our lives. He wants to get what he wants out of your life. It's not what about what we want all the time. My goodness, our wants really pretty much remain the same. More. Fill in the blank. We never have enough of stuff. I gotta have more money. Gotta have more time off. Gotta have more this, more that, more that. So he knows what we want. That's not gonna change. But he can change us and make us more of what he wants us to be. What did he create you to be? Who are you really? This is what he wants to reveal to us. And it's done through these experiences, these faith experiences. God is able to reveal to us who he is and then reveal to us who we are. You've got to have both of them. So doubt says we have to believe first and then see. So turn to John 20. Twenty-four. Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. Amen. But he said to them, I'm not believing y'all except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand at his side. I will not believe. In other words, I've got to have physical evidence before I believe. I don't don't condemn Thomas. We do the same thing. We always trying to sneak a peek before we do the work of casting down doubt and imaginations and convincing ourselves that God's word is true. That's the labor to enter into the rest of God. You know, when the Bible says, therefore, labor to enter into the rest, the labor is casting down doubt, ministering the word to yourself, convincing yourself the word is true in spite of what whoever says. So he says, Unless I see physical evidence, I will not believe. So after eight days, again, the disciples were there. Thomas was with them. Jesus came in, the doors being shut. Now, that would scare you enough. Huh? That was the last thing Thomas expected. 
you ever you ever talk bad about somebody you get so paranoid you think they know what you've been talked about that waiting to huh that was the fright of his life so jesus just walks through the wall huh And he says, calm down. <laughs> There's Thomas up on the ceiling. You, you know how the, you know how the kitty cat does, sticks his claws up there. Yeah! Huh? He said, calm down. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. He said, I got evidence. Huh? I got evidence. Those scars are there permanently. They are signs of a covenant. Those scars are there so that when you touch them, you're healed. Amen. Those scars are there so that you know he gave his life for your life. Covenant scars are like that. They're everlasting. They never go away. You know, a human humans when they do blood covenants like that you know blood brothers or whatever they put uh apply abrasives to the wounds so that it it scars up you know in in uh african nations where they keloid you see that type of scar well that's a, a benefit for them because they're covenant people you know, when you see sometimes they decorate their backs with different kinds of scarring to show the tribe they belong to. Amen. So because they they have faith in covenant, man-to-man covenant like that, they just carry that gene in their blood so that it will keloid like that. There's some people that have that. I worked for a uh, pediatrician, and she refused to pierce babies' ears, and I'm not big on it myself either. I think kids ought to decide. But mean little parents say, well, let's zap them before they even know what's going on. They get older, they're never going to submit to it. I mean, that's the thinking. You know, poor little babies, not bad enough, you got to get a shot that many people believe is responsible for autism. Got me? And then people ain't crazy either. They used to be considered crazy, but everybody's going, hmm. Because it's happening too frequently. Anyhow, get back on what I was talking about. But uh, that that keloiding is uh, so. This doctor, uh, her philosophy was: she said, if if they're going to have this big keloid scar, why give it to them as a baby? She said they'll be go through a childhood deform, because once they form, you try to get them cut them away they just grow back again so so kids like that you hope they don't injure themselves very much and all that kind of stuff but you never know what trait they have until they grow up a little bit and start getting around and and you see you see what i'm saying and so that is a a kind of a genetic predisposition but the reason it's so prevalent in 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 places like the middle east and africa over in, in in what we would call uh, more primitive societies where people just deal with one another person to person is because it is a protection for them 
when they have to cut covenant with somebody. So when you say, for instance, if you're part of so-and-so tribe and and uh, you want to gather some more people under your protective wing of your tribe, then you will have a representative from their tribe to cut a covenant with a representative from yours, and then they will make that scar in their wrists. And then sometimes they'll make other scarring that identifies them as belonging to somebody. And when they see that from a distance, they say, well, I better not mess with him. You know who he belongs to? Huh? That guy is very, very powerful. So they do that in societies. And so Jesus still carries the scars because he that's a resurrected body. It's the same body he lived in when he walked the earth. So there are not two Jesuses running around. So if you ever say you saw a vision of the Lord of Jesus visited you, you need to ask to see the scars just like Thomas did. Amen? You're entitled to see him to identify him. But but that's how he's identified. And so Thomas said, because that's what, and Thomas was smart. He says, if he really raised, if this is the same Jesus that, that was walking around and he's just raised from the dead, he needs to have them scars still on his body. Amen? And so Jesus tells him, he says, reach unto to my, he tells Thomas, reach here your finger and behold my hands and reach in here, reach your hand in to my side and quit doubting. Don't be faithless, only believe. And Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. And he said, Thomas, you're blessed because you see first and then you believe. More blessed is he who believes first and then sees. So the New Testament standard then is believing first and then seeing. Same thing he told Martha. Did I not tell you that if you believe, then you will see? And he's telling us, if we believe, then we will see. You must believe first, and then you'll see. See, this will cure us from running off doing stuff without really checking in with God and getting faith for what we do. Well, it's very quiet, so I think I'll park here for a minute. And work this. You know, God can want the same thing for you that you want for you. But if you don't do it in faith, it won't work out. Oh, that's not God. See, God understands. Well, he don't care how you get stuff. Really? Why You think he has a covenant out there for nothing? Jesus gave his, shed his blood for you for nothing? Because he doesn't care how you get it? As long as you get it. Well, how do you know it's not God? Because it didn't work out for you. That's one way. You know, see, if you're real spiritually smart, that'll be the first thing that comes to you. I remember when we used to, we used to, to, uh, um, you know, just getting started in ministry. And, and I would ask people, I said, well, how do you know God's telling you? How do you know when it's time? How do you know? How do you know? And and the Lord told me, he said, quit asking people. Why don't you ask me? 
And so when we first started, I always took the finances showing up as a sign that we were supposed to do certain things. Well, that'll work for a while until your finances increase. You know what I'm saying. I mean, when you first start, you don't have many people. People don't have much faith. Everybody's struggling to get there, yada, 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 yada. And so as 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 the the finances increase, most people relax and get on easy street. And that's when you make your first mistake because you quit doing things by faith and you start doing things by sight. You start doing things by how you want to do things instead of doing things the way God told you to do it. So if finances increase, if that was all your always your confirmation that, that go ahead with the project because the finances came in, when the finances increase, then you have to find a different way of communicating with God what to do. Huh? And so your relationship begins to grow with God, but he still wants you to live by faith. You don't just start doing stuff because you have the financial means to do them. That'll get you in the worst trouble. And so you have to be even more careful to make sure that you, and sometimes you'll have to get it confirmed and reconfirmed. That God wants you to go and do things a certain way. But the just shall live by faith. What that means is that everything that you do by faith brings life to you. Everything that you do out on your own does not bring life. In fact, it will bring death to you. It will hurt your life. It will hurt somebody else's life. It will cause calamity. It'll cause trouble. So as believers, God has us all on a schedule of how our faith is to be developed. He knows the challenges that our faith will, will face and he'll worth, he'll make it worth the challenge to you. You'll see good out of it. He'll see good out of it and it'll be all good. But ignoring God's promptings, ignoring God's permission, ignoring God, and assuming that because you want it, God will sanction it is a big mistake to make, especially for believers. You understand what I'm saying? I've seen people that, oh, my kids are going to go to college. They're going to go to college. They said that ever since the kid was born. And then the kid gets gets of, of age and you send them off to school. It's a disaster. Well, in the meantime of saying this is all going to happen, you got saved. Your kids are supposed to live a saved life now. They're under the blood covenant of God. You send your daughter out, the first boy that winks at her, she gets pregnant, never finishes college, has to drop out. You never stop to ask God what he wanted. Well, there's nothing wrong with college. I didn't say wrong. I'd say not God's will for you and not his will for you. And sometimes you have to accept that and not ask God a bunch of questions about why. You know why is a tool of the spirit of doubt and unbelief. 
Doubt always wants to give you a reason for something. It'll answer the question why for you. And then it'll argue back and tell you that you can do it anyway. You ever have that conversation? Something you suspect is wrong or something you know is wrong and you keep answering yourself back and telling yourself it's okay, it's okay, it's okay and you never get settled on the inside about it. Huh? Some of us don't even look for a, a, a inner witness for stuff. We just doing stuff. Open it a word. The devil will put you in a desperate, he'll make you desperate. You understand what I'm saying? Desperation is never God. Unless you're desperate to spend time with him, which you don't even have to live like that. You can spend as much time with God as you want to. But let us not start living off crumbs here. God's given you a place at the Father's table. That means a designated place. A designated purpose, a designated life that's meaningful and that's successful as far as what God believes. You're not looking for man's success. You're looking for God's success. If we can break ourselves up from caring about what people say and what people think. Huh? Big trap of the devil. Church people, they didn't speak. They don't like me. They, they, they. That they, they refer to as the same horde of devils that's never liked them. When they were in school, it was the kids in school didn't like them. At the job, it's the they is them co-workers that don't like them. Amen? That's the royal or demonic they. Huh? Absolutely. So people carry that little voice around them every with them everywhere they go. And that little voice just keeps talking to them. They don't like you. Look, they don't. Ah. Accuser of the brethren. Gets you into accusing people. Huh? Why? Why why would why would the devil spend so much time convincing you that you're unloved and unliked? Why? What's the point? He sees that you're an ambassador for Christ with the love of God on the inside of you. He does that to shut you down, to keep you from showing it to anybody, keep you from sowing that seed, close you up and close you down so that you think, well, I'm not going to do it because they don't like me anyway. It's not going to do me any good. Keep you carnal-minded and crazy. Then when you do something out of the love of God in your heart, he makes you watch to see how they respond to See if they like you back right away. Why does he do that? Because it works. That sounds crazy taken out of context, but put it in your life. Last time you got in a situation where that little mm, came into you, you got angry because somebody didn't. 
that's why we have secret santa you know just make you do make you get out of your little comfortable box you know people say you say were you doing secrets i'm not participating this year keep your your can string what's that little a little dollar store can string. Let's keep it. People like that ain't gonna spend. They ain't gonna even spend the whole five dollars on it. And then you give them their gift, and they like, "Where's a bag?" Let me see. You know, give me this, sweetie. It's it's a little heavy. You don't have to get up. You just hand it to them. <laughs> what is it? Huh? They don't even repurpose it. think that you know God is in repurposing gifts too you know if you can't use it or sometimes it can be really nice and you decide you know what this is so nice I think I'll give it to so and so and you understand what I'm saying it's about how you feel about people what you show it's not about how they treat you it's never about that you don't see anything in the Bible that tells you, do unto them because they do good to you. It never tells you, oh, make sure your husband gives you so-and-so before you treat him. You, you, huh? You don't, the Bible isn't written like that. It tells you what you do to people. It says nothing about what they do to you as a condition of anything. Why doesn't God put it in there? It doesn't matter. It's not important. What you mean? What I said, devil. Quit rearing up at me. Huh? Doubt represents beliefs that we hold before the truth of God's word comes into our lives. So doubts represent things that you believe before you come into a knowledge of God's word. They, it, in other words, that system of believing has always been in you. Now the word is coming in to challenge it. Amen. That's where the fight comes in. Because, you, you know, first thing I remember thinking like this. Oh, boy, I'm wrong again. Oh, boy, here it is. How come I always got to be wrong? Then one one day I realized I was born wrong, think wrong, act wrong, speak wrong. And the saints say, welcome to the club. Amen. So you get over yourself. Huh? You get over yourself. You don't crucify yourself. God crucifies you. If we crucified ourselves, we get on an easy cross with no nails. You can get down anytime you want to. Huh? You get soft restraints, elastic, so you can just slip your hands out and go off and do something else instead. 
We don't like being told what to do. So that's why we will fight with doubt and agree with doubt and then say we're really believing God's word. See, you can start out feeling good about the word, understanding the word, and go home speaking the word to yourself, and then drive around the corner and something pops up and throws you over into your carnal mind. Why they come and jumping in front of me like that, breaking the laws? Where's the police when you want them? Ain't no polices around here nowhere. Huh? And on top of that, I got to go home and read some more of my Bible. Got to confess the word. Got all these silly cards sitting up here. I don't know why I need these cards. Just that quick. Doubt comes right in and starts setting up housekeeping in the middle of your meditating on the word so it can come and pass for you as badly as you want with the word promises you can sit and think about something and then all of a sudden the enemy will come and say "Mm, god didn't really mean it like that you ever had that it's it's not like that not all that not that much so these beliefs these these thoughts reflect our believing that's that's a part of our carnal frame and that's why it's so easy for us to accept doubt as the final answer or you you'll park you may you'll let doubt park you at a certain place of believing and not go any farther you understand what I'm saying? Doubt is like the uh, the bad the bad uh, additive you put in your it, with your your gasoline that causes your car to you know choke and sputter. Then you don't feel so secure driving it. You know what I'm saying? You it, it, now wait a minute. Now the, now I believe God's word. I know I believe. You know, you understand? You've been there. Trying to believe, trying to believe, trying to believe, holding on, holding on, holding on, and you're still choking and sputtering. Then you finally park the car and settle at the level you're at in God. But you still want things good in your life. So how are you going to get started up and revved up again? Oh, don't tell me you don't do that. You start leveling out, coasting, choking and sputtering all the way, but you're coasting. You're no, you don't have zeal. You don't have expectation. See, that's the first thing doubt will kill is your expectation of good. So you start leveling out, and then your mind starts wandering onto something else that you can do. Rather than repent, pick the word back up and say, God, I did it again. And I thirst and got off the road of believing you and trusting you, and now I'm back into trusting me. How did I get here? I'm so mad at myself. 
So you get mad at yourself for a minute and you shake it off and you keep it moving. People think because they're mad at themselves, that's a good thing. That's the worst thing you can do is agree with the voice of condemnation and the and the voice of doubt. You don't ever agree with doubt and learn how to recognize it because it gets more and more so. The longer you walk with God, that voice gets more and more subtle and it starts to infiltrate almost every thought that you have. At the end of that thought is something that tells you to let go of what God promised you because it's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's not going to happen anyway. Or if it happens, it's not going to be soon. It's not going to be this year. Doubt doesn't want you to ever have anything from God. That's its job. Is to keep working you and working you and working you so that you never pick your faith back up again. Doubts are lies. Because doubting is wavering. Doubt speaks of the temporal world as though it is infallible and though the temporal world is permanent. It wants what God, God wants, God wants your situation to be temporary and doubt wants to make it permanent. He wants you to stay in the place of languishing forever. Doubt can be very adamant. It will hold you a very strong argument as to whether why you can't have certain things. Or you can't have it now. Or you can't have it like it says in the word. You can have it. always wants to take a bite out of your promise. It says that God's it says what God's word says is not totally true. It'll it'll concede to you a little bit. Yeah, you know God. And I mean, you know, that's in the Bible. Yeah, God wants you well. But, you know, it's hard to get a healing. You ever hear the devil say it's hard to do, hard to do, hard to do, hard to do. And then pretty soon you start saying, oh, I'm tired. Because you bought into the lie that it's hard. Well, the heavy lifting's already been done by Jesus. So how is it hard? He says, my yoke is easy. My It's hard because you off there by yourself trying to make it happen instead of just simply believing God. So all you have to do is hold on to your faith. You ever see uh football players? You know, everybody, you know, we like the easy pass for the touchdown. Nobody in the end zone but the receiver. Well, that's a mistake. Because it wasn't supposed to be like that. But we all get excited. Ah! Look at that. He caught it. There ain't nobody down there. Well, somebody going to get chewed out when they go in the locker room because that guy should never have been that free down there to catch that ball like that. Somebody wasn't doing their job. Huh? With doubt, that never happens. He's guarding that ball all the time. He's guarding you from getting it every single time. Every time you go to put the the, uh, word on and listen to it. He got something else for you to do. Your mind wasn't popping to you. Oh, let me go do this first. 
then I'll come back and finish putting my tape on and well let me go do this first and then I'll come back and pretty soon that hour you said you were going to spend with God now is down to 10 minutes nothing but shenanigans mayhem skullduggery huh because you haven't accomplished anything that was worth sacrificing an hour with the Lord for. Because the enemy knows, doubt knows, if you ever get a good solid hour with God, he's history. And if you get one hour, chances of you doing twice as very good. Huh? That's why many times people don't get gradual healings, I believe. Gradual healings get us comfortable with the job half done. You understand what I'm saying? Because most of us live by how we feel. You get in the word long enough to start feeling a little better. Symptoms ease up. And where you were in the word six hours a day, now it's every other day is because you're feeling better. Got me? But at some point, you're going to be put to the test to get the rest of that faith. It's going to have to be challenged. Because if you can do it long enough to feel better, you can do it long enough to get your whole healing. You understand what I'm saying? Go all the way. God wants people to go, Jesus went all the way for us. Why are we going halfway and living a halfway life? Huh? Satan tempted the woman by saying, has God really said that? Did you did you hear that right? Huh? You can get a prophecy and start to doubt it. I remember some people were received a prophecy about something, and little by little, because they didn't stay in the word and fight the good fight of faith, according to the prophecy, all you got to do is keep repeating it. Keep playing it. Keep re- I mean, is that hard? But see, we'd rather listen to that noise in our heads that tells us, and it tells them the same thing it's always told them. This is what gets me. Sometimes I think, I said, you know what, God? The devil doesn't even halfway try sometimes. Nobody's ever going to want to marry you. You're not pretty enough. Then you get married, you start, I mean, you get older, you get saved, you start reading in the Bible where God says it's not good for man to be alone or bring somebody and you start praying about it and then all hell breaks loose. Oh, you think, you still ugly. You understand what I'm saying? You ain't changed nothing, nobody wants you. You can't cook, you can't clean, you can't, you understand? Hey! He bring out the big gun. By the time he gets finished with you, you're bashed, broken, bleeding, over in the corner crying. Right after Prophetess Kelly gave you a prophecy that God had a spouse for you. It's the same argument he's always can we not figure out this is not new? What's new is I got a real promise from God now. 
but he's using the same old stuff. So he really don't have to be creative and use nothing new on us because the same mindset. See, when you go in the word, you should be changing your mindset. Ask God, reset my mind so I can start believing this stuff, God. Meditate on the word and wash that stuff out. Huh? It's the blood that washes doubt out of your soul. Righteousness is the antidote for doubt. Huh? Hey, God ain't promising me nobody because of pretty or ugly. He just said he's going to do it. You understand what I'm saying? That God, God never told you that was a condition. And see, we make it a condition because we're too lazy to fight doubt that's always been there. Some of us, the devil has always told us we were ugly, homely, fat, not attractive, whatever it is, dumb, airhead, flake, huh? lazy, trifling, stupid, you name it. He's told us all those things. And God says, I'm going to find you somebody anyway. It might take me a little bit. You might have to work with me. You might have to work with me for a little bit, but I'm working on it, girl. You keep believing, I keep working on it. Well, who you think is going to find somebody for you? Your natural daddy couldn't hook you up with nobody. Doubt has many, many tentacles. It's an octopus with more than eight tentacles. Every time you hear the word, faith comes, but doubt will rise up to contest it. Mountain-moving faith prevails over doubt. It's got to confront doubt. So this is a natural process that we go through. Is when you get a word from God and you start to to believe it, doubt will come up and challenge it and try to choke it down. But Mount Moving Faith rises up and says, I still believe. I'm not waiting for God to give me anything. He gave it to me all. All I've got to do is say yes and amen to it. And it's mine. Doubt is very unreasonable. If you entertain doubt, it will keep you wavering. Stop trying to reason with doubt. Stop listening to the excuses it gives you. Stop listening. But look at him. He didn't give me nothing I wanted for my birthday. You're doing good to be married. Have you seen what people take as a substitute for a real relationship? You know, I'm always suspicious these uh, uh, Christians will say somebody's a fiancé. Now, fiancé is just cold word for shacked up. 
Christians. Well, I said, well, where's the ring? Well, see, Pastor, woman of God, see, you old school. No, I'm real school. Huh? It may be old, but it's real. I don't live on Fantasy Island. I don't take no man's word for nothing he going to do for me until he gives me some proof. Wedding engagement proof is a ring that fits me. Ain't that pass around ring you've been got so many dings and dents on it's been thrown at you so many times. And see, we accept that because of what we think about ourselves. Because we don't accept what God says about us about us. See, many of us need to have a, a nice little washing of the water of the word in our heads real good before we step out and try to make any kind of commitment to anybody. And I mean make it a project to get your mind renewed. Don't be sitting around waiting for it to happen to you. It won't happen like that. But your prayer needs to be, God, prepare me for marriage. Prepare me. Make me a wife. Amen. Amen. Hmm. What she mean by you make me a wife? Amen. Grow up. Doubt is very unreasonable. We said we'll keep you wavering. You know, the Syrophoenician woman found this out. I like her because she had faith to get her daughter healed, but she didn't present it to Jesus when she first came up to him. Sometimes we just need to spit it out and say what we want. You ever pray about something in, in in your heart? You want more than what comes out of your mouth? So you lied to God? See, and really, whatever's in your heart of righteousness, he put it in there. But he needs your faith, your expression of faith in what he has inside of you so that he can bring it to you. So you sit up there and lie. I, I want to, I want to, uh, uh, well, I want a car. Here we go. Well, you know, I, I've been looking at this car. You know, but it's, it's, it's this, it's too that, it's too much. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. Doubt, 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 doubt. Before you can even get the prayer out of your mouth. Doubt has apprehended your words and is causing you to change the desire of your heart. We do it with giving. In your heart you'll say, you know what, I need to give, give, well I did tithe, I need to give a little extra. And then doubt will come to you and say, girl, you, uh uh-uh. What you mean extra? We don't have no extra. And as long as you listen to that voice, you won't have any extra. 
See, your extra will come when you give on top of what you've been giving already. If you need extra, you give more. In the measure that you give, you get it back. But see, doubt will make you renege on your own desire to prosper and do well. Because it'll tell you about something in the natural that it wants you to consider so you think what you're getting ready to do is going to break you. And you ain't been broke yet. Even with your piddly giving, you ain't been broke. Huh? Faith has more power than doubt because it comes from God's word. And we give doubt so much attention and so much focus because it's always been a part of us. It sounds credible because it's familiar. That little voice that tells you you can't do this, oh, don't bother about that, you know, let them other people have that. Before you know it, there's nothing you're you're going to be wanting from God. You keep letting doubt Take a bite out of your promise and see what you're left with. It's going to be there, folks. You've either got to do what Abraham did and consider not. Doubt was a condition of his body. Every time he considered how old he was and how old Sarah was, doubt came up. But the Bible says he didn't consider his body. When when you when you are are fighting symptoms, and I'm not gonna say disease, because that's really all it is is symptoms, folks. We don't get disease, legally speaking. You know what what happens is for believers, I think God has a special grace for us that allows us to separate out what we're fighting like when you if you if you have a pain that persists if you meditate on that you start making it more prominent more real and pretty soon you convince yourself that there's something wrong that is beyond your your ability to take care of it so you have a choice you either go to the elders of the church that's what the word instructs you to do Or you decide you want to go get medical attention. Now let me tell you what going to the world will do for you. The symptoms aren't enough for you to fight. Because the devil knows if you keep going to church, eventually the anointing will break the yoke. Or you'll start focusing on God so much you consider not the pain, the symptoms, all of that. So if he knows if you consider, just just do that. But if he can make you go, they can push you to go to the doctor. Then you you get a diagnosis. Then you got to fight on a different level. See, on a on a symptom level, you're just fighting your soul and what it focuses on. When you get a name, it goes up to a higher spiritual level. So that's why he wants to push you to go to the doctor. So you start fighting this illness on a higher level of name. Now, how many of y'all believe that's true? 
as long as it's just a a a, a weak arm or slurred speech, it's symptoms. But when they say MS and it's incurable, you're fighting a higher level of devil now. You're fighting the name. And so God tries to keep us considering not on a symptom level so we don't go get a name on it and then have to fight the name level too. That's a higher level of demonic activity for us to fight. Because that name signifies something. That name begins to wield power against us every time. Oh, but that's MS. Oh, but that's MS. Oh, but that's under the blood of Jesus, and it's not for me. I refuse MS in the name of Jesus. So you got to learn how to do whatever hope against hope. you got to fight now. Now you got to look crazy to a lot of people when you tell them you don't have this. Well, what happened? Did you, did you, did you, did they find, what happened? Huh? The cross happened. The blood of Jesus happened. The devil's just trying to put symptoms on me. I don't have no disease. God said none of these diseases. Huh? You need to call it just alphabet soup. If you got to call it something. But you don't even even have to entertain it that much. You don't have to acknowledge it. The less you acknowledge, the less you possess. You start acknowledging things, and that that gives them life, credibility, all that kind of stuff. So you start acknowledging symptoms. Oh, boy, this hurts. I wonder what it could be. Oh, we on the road now. He got your attention now. You wonder what it could be. I'll tell you. The spirit of doubt has a name for everything. There's a backlog of names for diseases. Did you know that? Some that haven't been developed yet, they already got names for them when they show up. Because the devil knows it's coming. Like Corona. The bottom line is, what do you conclude? After doubt hits your mind, after you decide you want this from God, and then that voice comes up, say, can't have it, then it'll tell you. Now, this is the thing. If you shut the door on doubt when it, when it makes its first statement, you'll win. But if you let it keep telling you all these other things of why you can't have it and why you ain't this and why you don't deserve it and why you can't never have it and why you ain't as good as somebody. Oh, I know she gave her testimony, but she don't live like you live. You see them wings sprout out of her back? She, y'all ain't even the same kind of people. What's your conclusion about it? What, at the end of the day, what do you say? Do you go to bed doubting and fearful and wondering when it's going to happen? Or do you decide, you know what, I did receive my healing when I prayed. I am not sick. I am healed. 
I will never be sick because God will put none of the diseases on me. You need to read the word to the doubt. You start feeding him the word and let him choke on it. It said Abraham considered not his body. Now see, we we have to consider not our body for simple symptoms. He had to consider not his body to get young again, to get fertile again, to want to be a father at a hundred years old. It was hard enough at eighty something. You understand what I'm saying? Come on now, girls. Age is age. God told Joshua he was old. He was 80. So 80 was old (coughs) back in them days. 100 is definitely old. But could you imagine? And he didn't have the the atonement like we have, the blood covering. He had a promise from God. He had a a covenant with God that assured him that God didn't lie. And he had history with God. That assured him that God had never lied to him. That's why some things come to us later in age. Because your experience begins to teach you that this doubt is foolish because God's never lied to me. That's what Sarah did. The Bible says she considered God faithful. How does she do? How do you know faithfulness over a period of time? So it's not that. It takes time for everything. It takes time for us to settle in in our faith. So doubt, you you have to make up your mind that you're you're not going to settle halfway and have a doubtful and doubt-ruled life. You're going to go all the way with God. Amen? Why is faith tested? It's to force doubt to stand up so you can move it out of the way. Your faith is tested by doubt. And whether you succumb to it or whether you stand up against it. The Syrophoenician woman stood up against the doubt that was already in her. Remember when she came to Jesus, she said, oh, thou son of son of David. And he said, look, sister, don't even try to work that with me. I, you don't sound Jewish. You don't look Hebrew. That's why he told her he only come to his own people. Well, see, he was reading her mind. Her doubt said, I bet he won't do it because I'm not a Jew. So he called her on it. Once he brought it outside of her so she could look at it, Then it was up to her to decide to continue to think the same way she'd always thought or to stand adamant that that healing belonged to her daughter and she wasn't going to go home without it. And that's all we have to do. Are you going to continue to believe the same way you've always believed? Are you going to stand adamant against what you have been and what you have thought? Well, see, I think like this. Who cares? Is that paying your rent? God's trying to get you to the place where you own what you live in, where you have more, where you employ people. But you're going to have to come out of where you are to get over where he is. It's not about what you want. You know, people will have good ideas, creative ideas, and you tell them, 
you know, you should be employing people. Oh, well, it's just enough for you. Oh, yeah, people give you a headache and all that stuff. Listen, you didn't even try to find out if God was in it. You just already got a ready answer. And what that says is, I'm only interested in enough for me. I'm not interested in expanding the way his kingdom is. You're working against the kingdom of God. Amen. Standing up against doubt is necessary to allow faith to be planted deeply in your heart in a meaningful way. You'll never be able to let doubt just be there like a silent little, you know, like he's going to leave you alone. You understand what I'm saying? It's like trying to take home a tiger for a pet. He's going to break out that cage. And destroy everything. Because that's what he's there for. So you can't pet doubt and hope it'll go away. You know how we do sometimes. Oh, I worship you. God. I praise you. Oh, I had a praise fit in there. Did you curse doubt? That you've been carrying around with you all the time? Or you let him just be there and watch you praise God and then jump on you in your weak moment? You're afraid to address it. Why? Because you didn't try it once before and it almost took your face off. So you risk, oh, don't let, oh, I did that once before and that, oh, that. I wouldn't investigate what it'd be like to start a business. Anybody told you to be there, do that? Told you to believe God? You know, people tell me, God told me to start a church. I'm I'm going to school to learn how to do a 501c3. You missed the whole point. God ain't never asked Caesar to pay for nothing. He stay off the government. I done seen people go to jail behind them. If you don't know how to get a good accountant so you can account for every penny, it'll be the United States versus so and so on them papers when you get them. I'll leave that stuff alone. You'll know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing here either, but you know what I'm saying. You, you, this is your best shot. <laughs> Why don't I stop? Thank you, Father. We bless you. We praise you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving us understanding of your word. Thank you, Lord, that the blessing is in your word. The blessing is in the faith. If we believe, then we will see. You have said that to us, Lord. If we believe, then we will see. If we believe, then we will see.